Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's a Friday, which means we are talking lines and over-unders and all kinds of fun stuff because it's been a wild week in college football. We got people moving games around. We got BYU headed to the surf turf in Conway, South Carolina. We got Ohio State. They're going to play this week. We don't know if they're going to play next week. We have no idea if the Big Ten is going to change the rules. We do know the SEC is complaining about the possibility of the Big Ten changing the rules, which Ari Wasserman... I find it quite delicious to hear the SEC complaining about another league playing fewer conference games to help it get into the playoff. Like, that would be like me complaining about someone raising their profile, a sports writer raising their profile by writing about barbecue. How dare you, sir? Yeah. I, hey, Andy, I don't want to gloat, but I told you they were going to change it. <laughs> Didn't I on Tuesday? And changed uh, it yet, buddy? Yeah, no, I Just know. But Barry Alvarez said it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen because the Big Ten, whether you like it or not, and you think it's stupid or not, the Big Ten wants to get a team in the playoff, and the Big Ten wants to legitimize. Well, they want to legitimize their their champion. So, regardless of whether or not the rule is dumb, or if Indiana, if they had beaten Ohio State, would be in the same position to get the same benefit, I don't know. You could sit here all day and and, and argue about that. All I know is that. There's two people in this scenario. One, there's people who are okay with the rule change because they're okay with uh, the Big Ten legitimizing their champion and getting a, a team into the playoff. And there's well, and also who, that rule shouldn't have existed in the first it place. But the other like, people who are their mad own fault. About, the people who are mad at the rule, Andy, are the people who don't want Ohio State to get in. So it's the, it's like completely um, based on how you feel. And well, you know, it's, and it's I, just funny because yeah, they're right. They they want to. They don't want Ohio State to get in. They don't like Ohio State. But it's funny because. If you want to punish the Big Ten, punishing Ohio State is sort of the opposite of that because Ohio State had the same mindset all along as the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12. They were the ones fighting against the Big Ten to get them back on the field. So I don't I don't think you should punish Ohio State yeah, for but, this. But my whole thing too, Andy, has always been the same, even when we talked about this and, and people were freaking out on Twitter at us, but... Ohio State, if they play six games, and I think there's an increasing chance they might get to play seven, but if they get to six and zero oh, and they beat Wisconsin, BYU is going to come to Columbus. That would be awesome. Who wouldn't want to watch that? Make it happen. But my my point has always been the same. I don't know that the Big Ten championship even matters for the playoff committee. If Ohio State finishes six and zero oh, and they beat Wisconsin instead of Northwestern during championship weekend, it's the same resume. So whether you want to call it what right. what it is or you want to give them a, a football trophy or say they're Big Ten champions or not, you can label it whatever you want. But if they have similar well, resumes, they have similar resumes in right, both scenarios. The top of the West is basically the same. It's the same it's, thing. It's not like – yeah. It's not like if you had a, a, a team that was undefeated and the next best team in the division was 500. That You're right. Wisconsin and Northwestern are very similar. So – it won't make a difference to the committee. You know I what else I've heard? There. I, what's that? I've heard that there's a chance that when they shake all this up too, that instead of if you're not playing in the in the Big Ten championship game, they might allow Wisconsin. There was some buzz about Wisconsin, and Mitch Sherman got this, I think, uh, from the North Nebraska athletic director. That there's some chatter about uh, Wisconsin being able to play Minnesota that weekend instead of doing a crossover game to try to get some of these rivalry games in. That's so fair. Even just if Ohio just State, play the best game. Yeah, and yeah. if Ohio's... Who cares about all the other games, I guess? If you're going to make a legitimate 
Big Ten championship and you put Ohio State in, then you can do whatever you want with everybody else. But I'd rather see Ohio State play Michigan in the event that that game gets canceled that weekend than play a crossover yeah. game with the with a Western opponent that's not the championship. So there's a lot to sift through here. And even if they don't change the rule to put Ohio State in, if they somehow don't qualify for the six games, I would still like to see them sh- um, sift through and change some stuff around to get just the best matchup still played, right? Everybody can agree on I, that one, I right? just truly enjoyed this week reading about SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey being unhappy that the Big Ten might change its rules so that a team – well, and it was the ACC he was unhappy with as well. He was unhappy with the ACC for, for making it where Notre Dame and Clemson don't have to play on December 12th. They will get an open date before they play in the ACC championship, which the ACC had a pickle – because Clemson was refusing to go back to Florida State because Florida State canceled the game on them when they were down there. And I get why the ACC did that. But (laughs) I find it funny to hear the SEC saying, how dare you play fewer conference games than someone else just so you can get in the playoff? (laughs) When that is literally what the SEC does every year. I know. Uh, uh, it's, it's just an interesting dynamic. And the thing that I don't understand the most about this whole thing is why people are freaking out about weirdness happening during a year where you have to accept that everything is weird. No kidding. Like, at, what, at what? And we talked about this before the season started because we have these people saying, well, you can't do that. And you can't do that. And you can't. No, there's a pandemic. You can literally do anything do you want as long as it makes sense. Whatever you whatever you can to get a football season in is what you do. And so there are no rules. No, it, just, it, it, what is our motto? What is our motto? There are no rules. We are doing the Everybody's best, doing the best can. we can. And I think, you know, depending on what happens, you know, I don't know. I mean, Ohio State in this discussion, I think it's possible that in two weeks this is a moot point because there's still a, a legitimate chance they're playing Saturday and there's still a legitimate chance they can play Michigan and there's still a legitimate chance that they can – you know, finish out the season at seven and zero, and it might, might happen. It might not. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I also can't predict. I, I'm, the I'm future. telling you, if Michigan can't play, as long as we're changing rules in the Big Ten, let's let's allow some non-conference games. BYU can slide San Diego State to the 19th, and let's get BYU to Columbus. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think Ohio State would want that? Uh, yes, because I think they know they can beat them, and I think they would relish the challenge. One, because here's the thing. If you're Ryan Day, you kind of want them challenged if they're going to make the playoff and they're going to have to face a, an Alabama or a Clemson or a, or a Notre Dame. So, yeah, I want to play a big a big old physical team like that. Well, can I blow I your, still think blow I can your mind? That has a good quarterback. Let me blow your mind yeah. real quick. Blow so I was mind. listening to Stanford Steve and uh, the Bear their podcast. Yeah, and they have a person who um, they talk to that makes that is a line expert and can make yes. lines. Um, for hypothetical matchups. And BYU, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they're ranked 13th, would be a two-point favorite over Texas A&M. I think they would be a, mm-hmm. a, 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 a two-point dog, I think, or, or something around even against Notre Dame. And the only three teams that they would be major dogs against are Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. Alabama would be a 17-point favorite against BYU, and both Ohio State and Clemson would be nine-point favorites. See, I, and everybody I don't else. buy that for a second because... There's no way to know that. There is no way to know that confidently. That is just that person guessing 
that BYU is that good because they've not played anybody that would prove that. So uh, that is a blind guess. So that person thinks BYU would do that. I don't. Yeah, I, I, the, that person, uh, whoever it is, is like a professional lines maker. So I don't know exactly how it would work. Um, it's not just some random guy saying it, but I thought no, it was no, an interesting I know, but dynamic. It's still a blind guess oh, because sure. they have only seen BYU play much less and quality part, teams. And part of this too, these other teams have played, is kind of trying to to gauge the temperature of the way people would bet. And I understand that, but right. I just like thought it was a nice illustration and reminder of the way things still currently are. And it's another if you it, if you put up a, a it, it, let's say that the game I am suggesting happened, and you sent BYU to Columbus. And they throw up a, a Ohio State minus two. That number's getting clobbered. I clobbered. think I think nine might get clobbered. Yeah, I mean, like you could you could theoretically because BYU's offense is awesome, but I think you could theoretically picture Ohio State winning fifty two to forty one in that game. Worst case scenario, and still covering the nine. But the thing that was most interesting to me about it, though, is is. Not so much a way as a to gauge the top six teams. I think it was a, a nice understanding that BYU was underranked because they did a nice comparison too of what BYU's don't numbers. Know if they're underranked, they hadn't played anybody. <laughs> but it's according not their fault, yeah. But if they're in a situation where they're a touchdown or less between any of these teams except the top three that we're talking about, they're underranked. Like if that's a, if that's the Here, way it here's works. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Think about who they've been playing. Now imagine they have to play Ohio State DBs. Are their receivers as open for Zach Wilson? Probably not. Yeah, but yeah, let's go down the list. We can play the game of who would BYU play with, and I wonder like what you would think. Like I, I've seen BYU play enough, and I know that they've had some weird, uh, you know, matchups because their schedule's weak. But you know, they they compared them to the UCF team that claimed a national championship a few years ago, and the schedules are the same. And mm -hmm. BYU's efficiency on offense and defense is much better than even that team. So even though they don't play great teams, I think that you can tell from a statistical standpoint how well that they're they're playing from an efficiency standpoint. And like. You know, Texas A&M, who's the team that you and I were arguing about, has bad numbers in an efficiency standpoint, both offensively and defensively down like in the 20s. So like when you start looking at these types of numbers, like if you put BYU and Texas A&M on the same field, who are you betting on if the spread is two? If it's even, do you think I think BYU could beat A&M? I think on the right day, they might be able to. Yeah, but I'd still pick A&M in that game. Yeah. It's an, just like a I've, fun I've journey. Seen, I have seen A&M beat a really good team. Yeah. I have not seen BYU beat a really good team. Yeah. So, no, I know. I know. And it's all hypothetical, but that's part of the fun, man. That's that's uh, of these podcasts and these discussions because we have to do the best that we can without having seen it. And and part of it is we want to see it. You know, that's the that's the sport. I know. You know, well, we want it. I, I just want some crossover, some, some How data much do points. You and, and care about this Coastal them. Carolina matchup right now? Because I know everybody's super excited about it, and, like, I'm not at all. I don't mean to be, like, a, a I, wet I blanket, it's, but it's, I think like, it's going to be fun. I think I, I, I want to see what Coastal can do against them. Here's the thing. If Coastal beats them, what happens to all that underranked mess? I mean, oh, yeah, then it's no longer a problem. Right now. I mean, anything can be ended yeah. at any given moment for sure. But the thing that I find less. But yeah, Co exciting Coastal about and it's 5'9 center against BYU. 
the I, thing that's yeah, not exciting it's a about tough it hill to climb. is that if BYU loses, then we can just say, eh, they were never any good. But if BYU goes out and beats the crap out of Coastal, it's still not going to do the job that it needs it to do to be taken seriously in the discussion. No, though, I, I will appreciate that because I, I will tell you, I've watched Coastal quite a few times this year, and that's a very well-coached team. Jamie Chadwell is a, a good coach. They run a good offense. Um, their their freshman quarterback is, is outstanding. They are kind of the classic good Sunbelt team where you take guys who are fast enough to play in the SEC or the ACC, but way too small. That's that's kind of what they've done. And I, I'm excited to see this game. I, I, I do think it'll be fun. Uh, they went toe-to-toe with Louisiana Lafayette. And, and, and this is the same Louisiana Lafayette team that blew out Iowa State. And they beat them. And... I think that means something. And it's it's interesting because I feel like that's one of the very few data points we actually have. Like that Louisiana Lafayette win at Iowa State tells us something. That now, do I think that, that the Raging Cajuns win if they play 10 times? Do the Raging Cajuns win 10 times? No, I don't. Iowa State's a really good team. But the fact that they could go to Ames and beat them the way they beat them I think is 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 pretty telling. Yeah, I think it's a it's a nice step in the right direction in the sense that we're getting a game that people are going to be generally interested in seeing. The reason why I'm not so juiced up about it is because I don't know that the result of the game, if it goes in the in the right direction for the team that wants to be in the playoff, is going to do much. So it's like either no, it's they, not, and it's but it's so how much do they actually to have to them gain to figure out? It's up to them to figure out how to play somebody. Like, they should have taken the game against Washington, even though they knew it was going to get pulled out from under them and given to Utah. Because then they could play the victim in that scenario. Instead, they made themselves look stupid by saying, any team, anytime, anywhere. And then they're like, no, nah, but not you, not here, not then. So, yes, we know the dynamics of that. We know if they'd scheduled a game against Washington, it would have been yanked away from them almost immediately, and handed to Utah. But that's okay, because then they would have at least been trying. And now, you know, playing Coastal Carolina is great. I want to see them play a Power 5 team. Go schedule a Power 5 team if you can. If there's even the slightest possibility you can, go do it. Yeah, and it's, like, funny because we have all these, like, hypothetical uh, matchups with Ohio State. If Ohio State needs a game, and, like, you brought up the BYU one, I, we've talked about potentially seeing Cincinnati if if both teams were allowed to to mm-hmm. get a game. I think any team goes great. in and beats Ohio State in that rank automatically legitimizes themselves as a playoff team. Absolutely, that's all and they need. I would say that that let's say let's say because Ohio State and Cincinnati played last year, right? And Ohio they State did. destroyed them. Yeah, it was thirty eight nothing. Like if that happened again, I think that would help Ohio State's cause a lot. It would absolutely. I don't. I, I don't know that there's an argument anymore between Ohio State and A&M. Cincinnati is probably. And let me ask you this: Cincinnati is better than everybody in the Big Ten, but Ohio State, right? Uh, they get they they give Indiana a great game. Yeah, um, yeah I think it, it's either dead even or or they're better. Yeah. So you know, if Ohio State can schedule an on conference game. And that would be kind of tricky because it's an in-state game, too. And, you know, the, the thing that's tough about the Cincinnati-Ohio State mat- matchup is is that the one time that Luke Fickle looked generally uncomfortable as a head coach was the time he came to Ohio Stadium last year, and he kind of squirmed a little bit. And I don't know if that's something that would happen all the time because of his love for Ohio State and his background, or if it was just his first time in a, in a big game and he's still trying to work through the kinks. He's a very good coach. 
But, you know, that would be a very interesting dynamic from in-state bragging rights, how much Ohio State feels like they would need that. Um, but all these hypothetical matchups give me life. And, and as much as the BYU Coastal Carolina thing is in the step in the right direction, it makes me want more. we crave comparison. We crave comparison. We have nothing to compare this year. Yeah. That's the hardest thing. We like I keep clinging to that Raging Cajuns win in Ames because it means something. But we don't have we, we're supposed to have an Oregon Ohio State game this year. Like Oregon's first two weeks would have been amazing. North Dakota State and Ohio State. That would have been an incredible look. And at, Oregon would have had their players probably, a bunch of the, you know. Because yes. like that's the thing that oh, stinks too about Oregon is that they're not even the, the Oregon they were supposed to be as a result of all these opt outs that they had, yeah. you know. And yeah. you know, I mean, I wish it, that we it, could set up just, a, a playoff field right now and and let A and M and Ohio State play on the same field and let Cincinnati play uh, Notre yeah. Dame and let BYU play Clemson. I mean, these are I, I know that this is just us basically saying why can't we expand expand the playoff? And I guess there's pros and cons to the expansion of it in the future, but in a year like this where we need that because the games haven't been played from a, just a totality standpoint, it makes a lot of sense right now to daydream about that. I don't know if it's an, a, yeah. a realistic thing to well, actually I, hope I for. I wrote it in July. This would have been the year to do it. This would have been the year because to try. Because we should have known. Because we should have known that teams were going to have five, six games. We should have known that half the schedule was going to get canceled for some teams. You know, and it's just kind of like, unfortunately, the luck of the draw. Texas State played 12 games and had no issues. Some Some teams were able to do that and some teams weren't. And... You know, the fact of the matter is, is you've got two separate teams that have to play a game and you have to be okay on the COVID side on both sides to play. So, right. you know, it's just kind of a really tough thing to, to do. And, you know, even though these teams are are being compared, it's just very, very hard. And I just like I listened back to our Texas A&M Ohio State debate and it's like I wish we could have debated about that for 40 more minutes, but I don't even know if it was would have proven anything because you know yeah, what? Just, it's just, just all hypothetical in circles yeah. because there is no right. There is no data to support either argument. It's just like the BYU thing, where the lines maker can say, BYU minus two against Texas A&M. And I'm like, no. They're, why? What, what have they shown against you know North Alabama? Like, what did that tell you about anything? Yeah. So that let, let's let's move now to games that are actually happening. And we'll we'll start in we'll start in the Big Ten. Uh, Ohio State is going to Michigan State. Ryan Day said on Thursday that it looks like they're good to go to play. Ohio State may be a little shorthanded. It sounds like Justin Fields is not one of the ones in danger of not playing, so it sounds like he's good to go. They're playing against a Michigan State team that has won what the Spartans would consider their two biggest games of the year and looked awful in the other ones. Can Mel Tucker get them fired up enough to, to put up a fight at all, or... Did we see the best of what we're going to see from them against Northwestern? The problem with this game is we don't know who's playing in it. And, you know, I I, I fell in this trap, and I, I it was your show, I think. we were. It was one of the many Michigan games that I got wrong. But when Wisconsin <laughs> missed their first two games, um, or their, their, their two-game stretch after their opener, and they came back to play Michigan, the line moved in a weird way, and it ballooned up to Michigan, I think, catching a touchdown. And I thought... How on earth would you not take Michigan at home with seven points when you don't even know who's playing in the game? And there were like 12 or 14 people out uh, in that scenario. And in that case, I thought it was a safe play to take Michigan because I thought at that point they might have a pulse and Graham Mertz and the other two quarterbacks on the roster might not play. Now, there was a a nice little clue that uh, was given out when um, 
Ohio State's offensive coordinator, Kevin Wilson, said he wanted to move onto the field this week so he could look Justin Fields in the eye. So that was a nice little indication that Ohio State's going to have their quarterback out there. But if they're missing a bunch of talent and, you know, to me, they might not field even 60% of their full capacity, depending on who's out. I think in that scenario, you kind of have to take the points. And if it's 24... It's a 24-point line, yeah. Yeah, if it's 24, Ohio State could pull the Indiana and be up 35-7 to or something at halftime. And the next thing you know, you know, Lombardi and the boys put up a few touchdowns at the end um, and cover this game. And that's something that could happen if Ohio State was at full strength. If they're not, if they're missing some key offensive linemen, and I'm not speculating, I'm just saying there's certain position groups that could cause a, a major issue here. Um, and if you're going to bet on it blindly, I think that you just take 24 points. And to me, if Ohio State wins the game by one and has half of its roster out <laughs> or half of its starters out, it's still all they need to do to continue on because the most important thing for Ohio State in this game isn't so much whether they win by the by covering the spread. It's a matter of getting a W and putting another game into the win column to get them back into the protocol in the good graces of the protocol to potentially compete for a Big Ten championship and then, of course, make the playoff debate a little less uh, hairy. Now, another game in the Big Ten that I, I find interesting, Indiana-Wisconsin. Now, we don't really know what Wisconsin is. They've played three games. You know, torched Illinois. Then we didn't see them for a while. They lost Northwestern. Now we see them against a good Indiana team that is without its quarterback. Wisconsin minus 14 at Camp Randall. Now, I don't, to your point earlier, I don't think this changes anything in terms of perception of the Big Ten for the playoff because we know Indiana put up a good fight against Ohio State. That was good. If Wisconsin can beat Indiana... And then Ohio State beats Wisconsin. I think that's probably fine. Like that, I don't think it's all basically neutral at this point. Yeah, I'd say the no committee probably likes would like a Wisconsin win over a Northwestern win at this point. Even though that's funny to say because Northwestern straight up beat Wisconsin. But at the end of the year, if we're talking about resumes, it's much more impressive to say and Wisconsin than and Northwestern. I think. Yeah, and and that's but I mean it's really just what you prefer. Do you prefer? A really good defense. Do you prefer an, a future NFL quarterback? That's I would probably the pick the first one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that's so I, I think that from a net standpoint, that doesn't change anything. But the the two touchdown line, I mean, is that is that them just saying we don't know what Indiana is without Penix? The hardest thing about this is, is that I'm not sure we know what North, uh, what Wisconsin is yet. Well, uh, I don't think so either. You know, and it's a, a really tough scenario. And on the big football show with Jesse Temple, I laid the points. And the second that I said that, I like regretted it because I feel like yeah. if you were to play this game, uh, you might be in a position where uh, two touchdowns for an offense that's still pretty good um, is is kind of a lot to handle, especially when we've seen Wisconsin and their offense falter when. Graham Mertz plays like a, a true freshman and turns the ball over a few times. I mean, how many times did he turn it over against uh, uh, Northwestern? I think it was like three or four times. So uh, yeah. when that happens, if you're giving a team that has an explosive enough offense, and granted, I know that uh, Penix isn't playing, but that quarterback that's playing uh, right Jack now is Tuttle. a pretty good. Jack Tuttle has been was recruited at the highest level by a lot of teams, and he transferred in there, and he started games for them last year. And I remember he started against Ohio State last year when I was there. Um, so it's not a complete dud at quarterback. I think I, if I could go back in time and re-record the big football show, I might change my pick to take the points on this one. 
I, I feel I'd feel comfortable taking the points. Like I also feel like Indiana's gonna play close unless they are completely outclassed. Yeah, I think they, they're, if, gonna, if they, they're gonna stay close to anybody. If they play a close game, I think they completely legitimize themselves as the ranking that they've been given at number twelve. They don't think they have to win to legitimize it, but with a backup quarterback, without the guy that was making all the headlines out there, they go out there and play a close game with Wisconsin. I think that's a pretty good tell that the entire team is kind of built in the same way that you can feel good about beating them. We'll be right back after these words. Let's move to the SEC and right out of the shoot at noon Eastern time. Texas A&M Auburn. Probably Texas A&M's toughest remaining game. Auburn is coming off getting destroyed in the Iron Bowl. And, and Auburn has been hammered by Georgia. They have been hammered by Alabama. And they have lost to South Carolina. So this is not a great Auburn team. It's not. But it is an Auburn team with good enough athletes that on the right day, they can they can surprise you. Can they surprise Texas A&M? I think they can. I think this would be my play of the week with my real money. And uh, I saw the spread was seven and a half at one point or seven, and now it might be down to six and a half. I would buy it up. I would buy it up a point, feel a little bit better about it and sprinkle in some money line because let's not forget. I know that we had our fun little debate earlier this week about Texas A&M versus Ohio state, but A&M, is known for completely crushing the souls of their fan base. And this feels like a quintessential spot for that to happen so, to me. We we had we had Casey Smith on a few weeks ago, and this is this is before AM came back, and uh the existential dread in her voice as she pondered the idea of trying to get to nine and one was and she's I mean, she's an AM grad. She's she's lived it her whole life. And she just you could tell like they are, they are waiting for the piano to fall. <laughs> That's yeah, just how I, it I just is. Recently, this is how moved, it's been every year. I just recently moved to Texas, and uh, I met some new friends through my girlfriend and some of their her friends' spouses, and they're all A and M people. And you know, they're just fans, and they enjoy the. They are all terrified. I don't even think they're enjoying it. They're so scared. <laughs> they, they they thought that they were going to lose. Um, last week and they, they 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 are convinced they're going to lose and i was actually at a bar with these guys watching the AM game when they beat florida and like the jubilation of we're back and the excitement that they had it was so fun to see but at the same time every <laughs> and then week, like a day later it was gone <laughs> yeah and now every week when they're like preparing for their game it's almost like a it's almost dread like every week that well, they like, can get the, the a win. The LSU game is is a prime example that had to drive them insane because they had to be sitting there the entire time going, why can't we throw on the team that can't defend the pass? Yeah, and it's almost like even though they won, they're thinking to themselves, what the heck is going on here? And, uh, you know, it's funny because we were talking about how teams earlier in the year like had some pretty bad stuff, but... Uh, like even like when we were talking about the Pac-12, Andy, you said that USC almost lost to Arizona State, and that's like the reason why we know USC sucks. It's like, do we? No, forget? USC almost lost to Arizona. Yeah, that's Arizona. The one I, sorry, I and Arizona worse. State, both. But like your alma mater. Can we also like talk about how A&M's. Texas A&M almost lost to Vandy? <laughs> like, I know that it, that was. It, I but watched it was the that same, game. It wasn't. It, was the it wasn't that almost. Yeah, I mean, it was. 17 to 12 and then uh, 42 to 31 against Arkansas and then 27 20 to 7 against LSU who's been pretty damaged. Arkansas was a backdoor cover and you know it was. <laughs> I'm just telling you 
their results haven't screamed dominance. And if we're talking about this specific no. game, there is a door that's creaked open a little bit for the entire College Station community to co- collectively have their hearts broken. And like this is the spot for it because I don't if they if they beat um, Auburn. And I think that they should, based on what we are saying that they were. I'm, I'm not worried about them against Tennessee, but if, even if they beat Auburn, I would still there. There will be a slight, Ole slight Miss. bit of consternation on my part when they play Ole Miss. Yeah, um, but let me ask you something completely unrelated to A and M, and something completely related to Auburn. And I was having a meltdown about this last week on Twitter because there is nothing more that I hate in college football than cowardly field goals. And I thought that <laughs> not a fan Auburn kicked like three or four cowardly field goals against Alabama. And I just feel like if they would have gone for it a few times and 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 gotten a touchdown instead of missing a field goal or getting a field goal, that like that game would have felt a little bit closer than it was. Now they had no chance to stop Bama. Well, it could get, which is it part could of the get reason- away from you. Yeah. Yeah. But, start- but here's the thing. Look at look at Nick Saban as your example. When they got crushed by Clemson in the national title game. Do you know why they lost by so much? Because they kept trying to win the game. They didn't kick the cowardly field goals. They came away with nothing and, and allowed, and then Clemson got but the ball back and scored again. There's times where the game is already kind of away from you where you can't kick a field goal. I'm going to look at the box score right now. Um, 14 nothing in the second quarter, they kicked a field goal. And then 21-3 to in the third quarter, they kicked a field goal. And uh, Which, at that point in the game, they should not. Uh, you yeah. don't kick a field goal. Just keep. And trying. I think they tried another one when it was twenty-eight to six. And I'm thinking to myself, "What are we doing? What are we doing?" Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah. So, Four, and it's a rivalry game. To, Throw it fourteen to three. I can live with, but yeah, twenty-one 14. to three. Don't. No, can you live with fourteen nothing when you know in your heart that they can't stop the other team? Like Auburn was going to win I, that I game with a field goal to make it 14-3, so they lost 42-13 to instead of 42-10. to They weren't stopping Bama. You know who my favorite coach in America is, right? I don't know who your favorite coach in America is. Kevin Kelly at Pulaski Academy in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> and the why? Man does not punt. Yeah. Onside kicks every time. So he goes for it on fourth down every single time. Yeah. And uh, listen. I'm all for it. <laughs> if you do, you go think that a, I think a team could go undefeated into Power Five football playing that way? Cowardly punts and cowardly think, field goals are the bane of my yeah. existence. I, I think if you are Kansas or one of those teams, that you should try that because it's it, it was interesting. So I actually went to a Pulaski Academy game. I think it was five years ago. They played at Highland Park in Dallas. Highland Park had not lost a home game since the '80s, and Pulaski just destroyed them. And Pulaski actually had to punt one time. And Kevin Kelly looked like he was going to throw up when he sent the, sent the QB and told he just basically had the QB punt. But it's not what they do that is so amazing. It is the effect it has on the other sideline. So you've seen enough games, Ari, where a team is down 14 with four minutes to go and they score and then the other team just puckers right up. And if they get the ball back, they march right back down the field because the defense is All the just time. discombobulated. Everything's moving too fast. And it's it's the pucker factor on the other sideline by the coaching staff, not necessarily the players. And you put them in that mode for the entire game. So imagine yeah. feeling that way for an entire game. Like you pro- the, the guys on the other side probably wanted to barf their guts out yeah. because they just and, – and these are great coaches – because you just not 
psychologically prepared to handle that. Yeah, and also, mathematically speaking, if you want to break down the metrics, you're much more likely to get 10 yards on four attempts than three. So if you do it that way, right. you're going to get it. Now, I might not well, go no matter three, what. Three yards of play is a terrible offense, but you get a first down every time. I might not do it completely. Score. I feel like if you're inside your own 30, you should punt. But if you're a right. Division One Power 5 coach who punts on fourth and six from inside the opposing fifth, uh, 45, you should be fired immediately. I, I Yards I are it. cheap and points are not. Yards are, yeah, and every single time you see it happen, the punter kicks it into the end zone, and I don't think that a 20-yard yardage gain is worth not attempting to get a first down in plus territory. And we see it, it it's over. It's not with the offenses that exist today. And especially when you're gambling. When you're gambling and watching this stuff, it's like, what are you doing? And these, and so I hate cowardly punts more than cowardly field goals, but I think cowardly field goals is a scared. I think sometimes coaches make decisions because they think optically it will look better to the fan base than it is whether or not it's the right thing to do. Just try to score. I am glad you brought that up. Let us move within the SEC to Knoxville. 330 years in time, Florida at Tennessee. Florida is a 17 and a half point favorite. We don't know if Jarrett Garantano is going to play. We don't know who's going to play for Tennessee. They could be pretty shorthanded. Florida seems fairly okay on that front. This is going to get real noisy for Jeremy Pruitt because they've got to play Florida and they've got to play Texas A&M. And if, it, if Texas A&M hasn't lost again by the time they play Tennessee, they're going to just destroy Tennessee because they're going to need to. So... What happens if this thing gets out of hand? Do you start kicking cowardly field goals? And, and what do you do? Do you think cowardly field goals make you look better? Like because like, the score is better? No. I think it nope. makes you look worse. But, but the thing is, like, I, I don't know that it matters. Like, the only thing that will matter to Tennessee fans is if they're in the game. Like, they will, they will feel more confident about Jeremy Pruitt if Tennessee either wins this game or puts up a four-quarter fight against Florida. I'm not sure this team is going to be motivated to do that. I think 14 to that, 3 that, and 14 to, to 0 the are the same thing. That's up to the to motivate thing. them. I think it's the same thing. I don't think there's any difference. And granted, there's times you can go, well, look, they lost by two in the end. If they would have kicked that field goal in the second quarter, then they would have won. And it's just like, I don't think it works that way. Um, I think that Tennessee, is, the wheels have completely fallen off. And Florida is playing uh, its best football of the year. Um, it's putting itself in a position to feel confident going into the hypothetical SEC championship matchup with Alabama. I think one team is trending upward, and I think one team is trending very, very downward. And, you know, a lot of the the losses that Tennessee has on their schedule right now after 2-0 start were pretty ugly. 44-21 yeah. against Georgia, 34-7 against uh, hey, UK. I, I'm not sure they beat Missouri if they played them now. Yeah, they probably wouldn't. Alabama, 48-17, Arkansas, 24-13, and then... I think the 30-17 to 17 Auburn game is not as close as the score indicates. I think that uh, Florida is going to win this game by three touchdowns. And it looks like Florida's defense is getting a little better, huh? I think so. I think it was a case of them not having everybody at the beginning of the year, and, and now they're a little deeper on the D-line. Got guys that have kind of figured out what they're supposed to do. So uh, you still had your, your Dan Mullen yelling at, uh, at Todd Grantham gif from, from the Kentucky game. But I think it's funny because I was, I was – after the game, you had all these fans saying, oh, this means he's going to fire him. No, no, no. That's their relationship. That is how they communicate. So <laughs> I, I don't think it means anything. And you know, Florida's defense has gotten 
appreciably better as the season has gone on. I, you know, you watch that Ole Miss game, you watch the A&M game, you're like, I don't know about this. So now you start to think, okay, maybe they can play with Alabama a little bit. Maybe they can get a stop or two against Alabama. I don't know. I mean, then I watch Alabama play and I'm like, that offense is What does the score have to be for Florida to beat Bama? I think similar to the Florida A&M game, like a 42-39 kind of thing. And it, you got you to gotta keep Bama in the 30s. And I'm, I'm not sure anybody can do that right now. Yeah. What's crazy, too, is that Waddle's not playing. I know. I know. Can you imagine? Well, and and have, you, have you seen Billingsley, the, the young tight end? It's like, it's like Kyle Pitts two years ago. Yeah. Like, I mean... It, it's not it's, fair that you put him with the, the those receivers Bama has. I can't tell you how truly shocking it is that Alabama has young, good players. <laughs> I'm crazy, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let, let us move along. This is the... I, I don't know if this is a stinky line. Because I think this line is, is similar to what we've seen throughout the year, especially with ga- games involving this one particular team. But... West Virginia goes to Iowa State. Iowa State is coming off a massive win against Texas. They are essentially locked into the Big 12 championship game. I think there's like a 1% crazy scenario where they can't make it, but they're, they're going to play it for the Big 12 championship. West Virginia comes in. This is Iowa State minus 6.5. You would think that the line would be a little bit bigger for a home team that is playing for its conference title, but West Virginia just makes it hard to do this. I know the Big Ten has been very drunk this year in terms of the results and everybody beating everybody, but I think the toughest conference to get a read on and to consistently win on if you're a gambler is the Big 12. I just don't know with all these crazy 60-point over-unders and um, all the game, all the teams, I, I don't really know that there's much separation. And even the more talented teams, maybe outside of Oklahoma when things are humming for them, there just doesn't seem to be that much separation. And like, how much separation no. is there between Iowa State and West Virginia? I know Iowa State is trying to walk into this Big Ten championship or Big Twelve championship game. They're trying to beat Oklahoma um, and do it again and and or, win I this. I mean, conference, Iowa State but, has the two best players on the field. Sure, for sure, sure. In in Brees Hall and Brock Purdy. Sure. So I think that 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 makes a pretty big difference. Yeah, and 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 from that standpoint, it's the reason why we think they're going to win. But if they were. Uh, you know, talking about just whether or not they're going to win by six and a half. It's such a hard thing to do because even if you go look at West Virginia's schedule, I mean, they played Texas 17-13, um, you know, in, in their wins, they look great, and in their losses, they don't. And you never really know exactly what version you're going to get. And it would have been really cool to see West Virginia play Oklahoma last weekend. It didn't happen. Um, Iowa State, I don't know that I would play this game. And if I did, I'd probably take um, West Virginia. Yeah. I, I think Neil Brown has done a really good job with what he inherited West Virginia. And he now has. I, I kind of wonder if they if they do get a really good quarterback in there, do they suddenly become a, a Big 12 title game type contender? Because, uh, you know, Brock Purdy's probably got one more year at Iowa State. We'll see what happens at Texas. We obviously know Oklahoma's always going to be good. But – the the job he's done suggests to me that that as long as he's there, they are going to scare people every time they play them. And so I, I think I think they've made the league more fun this year. And 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 hopefully that this will be an interesting one. You know, for Iowa State, it's you're not going to make the playoff 
So if you lose this game, it's not the end of the world. But I think you'd want to keep on winning and, and get some momentum as you go into the Big 12 title game. Because, you, I mean, let's put it this way. If you beat Oklahoma for a second time this season and win the Big 12 title, this is a historic season. This is a season everyone will always remember. Whether you won or lost to West Virginia won't matter. But probably good to just keep on going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to put an exclamation point on it and uh, – you know, I, I do think sometimes too, like when you, I listen to your show when you're talking to other people about potential coaching hires and stuff. And when you talk about Matt Campbell, um, there seems to always, even though it seems like he is the right candidate, there always seems to be a small pause in whether or not he's an upgrade from Tom Herman or a small pause on whether or not he's the right man for the job at Michigan. And I think the reason for that is, is because he has a tendency, whether it's, uh, good or bad, or what you get when you have a roster like his to have inexplicable losses. And I don't know if this right. would be an inexplicable loss uh, because it's less than it a would touchdown. Be pretty explicable. <laughs> explicable, especially given the emotional. Because they, you know, you have this emotional peak when yeah. you beat Texas, and, and you've got to come back from that. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why I might lean the other way on there. Um, and you know, if you look at exactly Iowa State's schedule, it's such a weird dynamic to see that they lost. Um, at the beginning of the year to a, a group of five team pretty handily by 17 points, Louisiana beat them. Mm-hmm. And now it was going to go play for a big 12 championship game. And both other, and the other loss they had was a close loss at Oklahoma state. And it was on the road. And at the time, I think Oklahoma state was in the top 10. So, you know, you can wrap your mind around that a little bit, but it's just like, God, some of those eyesores on their schedule sometimes. And it makes me think yeah. is a person who has eyesores on their schedule pretty regularly. Is that just a matter of, well, that happens at Iowa State when you don't have superior athletes, or is that something that is an indication of what would go with him along with punching up? Well, and, and the thing about Campbell that, that makes you wonder, and I still think he'd be good at one of those jobs just because he's a very smart guy and seems very adaptable, but he's never had to recruit those types of players before. And it is a different – they're different. They're, they, they think differently. They act differently. Uh, what you have to say to to convince them to come play for you is different. So that's that's the part we just don't know about him. Uh, he's going to get one of those jobs, and then he'll he'll prove us either correct or wrong. But we just don't know because he hasn't had to do that. Like he wasn't a, an assistant at Ohio State. He wasn't an assistant at Georgia or anywhere like that where he ha- he would have to yeah. recruit at that level. So and also all the other non football semantics crap that you have to deal with, whether it's booster clubs and, you know, getting along with all the other people and, uh, you know, being the right face of the right program. I mean, there's certain responsibilities of coaching at Texas that just don't exist at Iowa State. That's right. But we'll see about that. I mean, Texas will have to make its decision. And I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. We got to let's talk about two more games. There's an SEC game that I missed that we do have to talk about because it's usually the biggest game in the SEC, and it, I feel like this feels sad that there's an Alabama LSU game. LSU is a 29 and a half point underdog at home, and you know Terrace Marshall just opted out. Alabama's a lot better than LSU. Maybe LSU puts up a fight, but putting a you know a true freshman quarterback in the line of fire against Alabama, I don't. I don't know if I want to see this. Remember when uh, the pandemic happened and everything stopped and there was no football for a minute and we were unsure there was going to be football and then they announced the schedule and it was Alabama LSU the day of the Masters? Yes, yes. Like how exciting that was. And it's just like, man, 
here we are. I I, I just lay and the it's point. It's going to be in prime time on CBS. I I hope Nestler and Danielson have a lot of stories to tell. The worst two I hope things got that, some witty banter queued up. The worst things that you can do as a gambler in terms of pain is doing two things: betting against Alabama and betting against Golden State Warriors when they were at the height of their success. Because even if you're still on track to winning the bet, it's just so cringeworthy the entire game because you know at any point an avalanche could come. And it's just not an enjoyable experience. I think Alabama right now is 30 points better than LSU. I know it's on the road. I know this is a quote-unquote rivalry, and I know Coach O uh, you know, really enjoyed that win last year and, and said some funny stuff in the locker room and you know, they're going to own the, the rivalry from a recruiting standpoint. I, I think that this team is going to be motivated enough to take care of business. And I just would not want to lay the, I would not want to take the points here and watch what's going to happen, happen. Yeah. It's, it, it's disappointing because this game is so exciting most years and it just, it, there's not going to be much to this one. I don't think we got to pay some bills. We'll be right back with Ari Wasserman talking Saturday's lines and over unders. BYU at Coastal Carolina. The Cougars are 10-point favorites. I'm just excited because it's it's cross-conference data. That's all I want. That's all Let's you want. Who even cares who, uh, who covers or who works? Uh, I, I think that... Uh I don't know. I think I'm laying the points here. I think I think I think BYU is better than people are giving them credit for. Well, and and we'll find out. Grayson McCall, the freshman QB at Coastal Carolina, having a great season, 10 yards per attempt, completing 67.2% of his passes, but we will see what he does against a much better defense and the quarterback on the other side putting up even better numbers. Tyler Tyler Wilson is whew. So, yeah, I mean one is, team's got an NFL be, quarterback uh, and I just think is just like what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Zach and, Wilson. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, 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 these, these quarterback names just, I, I mix them up constantly. What did you say? Did you say uh, Jeff Wilson? Tyler Wilson. Or Tyler Wilson. No, yeah. I said Tyler Wilson. It's sort, it's sort of like the, um, so Harrison Bailey plays at Tennessee. Carson Beck plays at Georgia. There was a Harrison Beck who used to play for Nebraska. It just, I, my brain can't do it. It can't process the quarterback names anymore. Andy, are you laying 50 if you're North Car- uh, North Carolina against Western Carolina this weekend? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's more a cross-conference it's a name data. your score situation. <laughs> name your score. I know. Are they going to name Liber- it? Liberty named their score against them, and North Carolina will too. Yeah, 50. <laughs> it's just a funny spread to see. Okay, so are we going back to Matt Campbell, Texas talk now, or what? Well, not Matt Campbell, Texas. Mm. It's it's the guy. Let's talk about the guy. All the Texas fans think is coming. That we we have entered the. His wife is looking for real estate in town on the message board when she's probably you know five hundred miles Did away. Did you or see miles away. that thread um, on one of the Texas message boards that was floating around Twitter of Urban Meyer doing a video Skype or, or his Zoom hotel room in it, his it, hotel room and they were trying to break, <laughs> they were trying to break out whether or not his first of all if you stayed in any sort of Marriott in your entire life you know that every hotel room is the same in every area of the world I've stayed in the, if it's a right. courtyard the ho- the room is the same in in Panama Beach Florida as it is in Montana it's the same room and second of all. It had a ceiling fan, and they're like, "Do hotel rooms have ceiling fans?" And it's just like, just so the kind Urban Meyer stays in. Do <laughs> if Urban is in Austin for an interview with Texas, 
that's going to be broken by a national reporter immediately. You don't need to like be a sleuth and figure out what hotel room he's well, in. Well, and, and and here's the other thing: if he's in Austin, he's not going to do whatever TV hit. He'll he'll find a reason to cancel that. He'll be like, I have a dentist appointment, I can't make it. So don't worry about that. But this is the, this is the question for Texas, and, and you and I have talked about this too. If you can't get Urban Meyer to say yes, and we don't know if Urban Meyer is going to say yes because Texas is a high-pressure job just like Ohio State, just like Florida. The the stuff that happened his last year at Ohio State with the health issues, the stuff that happened with the health issues the last year at Florida, do, do you want to risk that again? I, I, I don't know. So would he do it? I don't, I don't think any of us knows except for him and maybe his wife Shelly. If he says no, if you're Texas, is anybody a sure enough thing to write the kind of checks you got to write? I don't know if Matt Campbell is or not. He's the only other what name out Mario there. What about Mario Cristobal? What about James Franklin? <laughs> I don't know how you could hire James Franklin right now. Uh, you you take the long view instead of the short view? For how much money it's going to cost, the short view makes it super painful. <laughs> well, yeah, it'd be hard to sell. And that's why I'm asking you this. I don't think so. I no, think, I, I don't. I think Cristobal can do the thing you want. Yeah, yeah. You, you get the, the great recruits. You develop them into high NFL draft picks. I think, I think that is ideally what you want because then that sort of makes its own gravy afterward. But... That's a massive payout. That is $8 million to Oregon on top of over 20 to buy out Tom Herman and his staff. Th- I just, I can't see writing those checks. The toughest part isn't so much about who else would be out there, Andy. It's living in a world where we can sit here right now and envision what it would look like if Urban were to take the job. And it would be a similar amount of money. It might be a few million more a year, depending on who you get to get Urban. But no matter who they get as a result of not getting Urban, it's not going to be the picture that they're painting in their minds right now of what it would be like with Urban. So, and the, and the harsh reality of it is, if Urban doesn't take the job now, then there's nobody that's going to be there next year that makes you that excited. And we did the sure thing talk on this on this podcast a few times, and Urban was a sure thing twice, right? Florida and Ohio State, and yeah. I think he'd be a He's sure thing the only thing one who's time. been a sure thing twice. Yep. Um, and I, I, I think, here's the thing I don't know about him in terms of how he, he thinks, and this is what I said to Bill when we were talking about this on the other podcast, 4 to 6, last week. What is the more enjoyable part of being a head coach for Urban Meyer and the Urban Meyer that you covered and the Urban Meyer that I covered? The two different Urbans at different places, but we both covered them. Do you think he enjoys the build more or do you think he wants to ride eventually in the car that he built? Because both of his stops, one, he built it. One million percent the build. One I feel, million which percent. one do you think is more stressful? The the keeping it there. Really? Always the keeping. Every coach will tell you keeping it there is harder than getting it there. Which one do you... Th- so this is the interesting thing. We both know that Urban cares about his... Um, what people think of him and his legacy and being in, in the same discussion as Nick Saban when we're talking about the best modern-day coaches of all time. I, I know he cares about that, and if it was your life's work, you would care about it too. I feel like the thing that Nick Saban has done 
that makes him the best coach undeniably in college football is that not only did he build it at Alabama back, but he is riding it long term every single year, recruiting class after recruiting class at one place. No, no one's t- ever done this. No oh, one. And the thing that is so weird to me, and you can't play the hypothetical game because Ryan Day is doing such a good job right now, but Urban had it set up at Ohio State to do something similar. And I don't know if the one-man dynasty thing is more intriguing to him to win a national championship potentially at three different places is a great a great thing. But why would you leave the place that was humming? And Ohio State is humming right now, and make no mistake about it, it is because of what that man built. To go there to another conference and do it all over again. It's like buying a car or building a car, a, a car and driving it's it around like building, the block it's, one it's, time and then letting somebody else have it. And it's just like, why would you do that? Because you no, like, like building like better building than building driving. House. Yeah. It's like building a house and moving is what it is. You build a house, you live in it for a yeah, year and you for move. a year and then you move the perfect house. The there's house a that, lot. Here's a, here's the thing, Ari. There are a lot of people who do that. Like there's some, there's some, not a lot, but yeah, no, I know there's some, some high dollar folks. That's what they do. They are more interested in the details of the build than they are the finished product. Cause nobody can build and, a program better. So in, in Texas, I would say is probably maybe a half step behind where Ohio state was in, in 2012 when, when he took over, maybe in the same general area though, Texas has a roster it has a recruiting footprint. It has a tradition. It has a recognizable national brand. I think that Urban would be in the national championship discussion as a real-life contender within year two or three at the most. Right. So, like, it's, it's all there. The Florida. table is set. It's Florida. there. Yeah. So if he Florida wants to— had some, yeah. some players and, and a brand and a footprint, and yeah, it's, it's pretty similar. But he has to decide he wants to do that, and, you know, like— the thing about it is that's the ideal situation if you're Chris Del Conte because you don't have to pay a buyout to Fox. I mean, you're you're the conquering hero if you pull that off. Is it cheaper to get Urban than it is to get Matt Campbell or Mario Cristobal? It might be a higher point, salary, probably. but it's probably cheaper in the long run. Right. In the long or at least it, yeah, or it's the same number over the same years. If yeah. You, if you really break it all out. It's like but like what would that look like to you though? It would look like he would go get some high-powered assistance. He would get his um, his son-in-law, who's the quarterback coach at Ohio State, Corey Dennis, Corey Dennis probably yeah. to go with him. And he would hit the ground running, and I think he would recruit all the same areas. I don't know how much he would dip his toe into Ohio because that would just be weird. But he probably still would because he's urban. And, you know, you, you put yourself in a position to sign even more elite classes than Texas has. And I think that immediately Texas would have a better uptick in talent. I don't know how he would fare from a scheme standpoint, because I think towards the end of his career at Ohio State, he kind of lost it a little bit in terms of innovation and running the best type of offense. And that's such a weird conference from an well, offensive he, standpoint. Remember, he's he, he's been at his best when he's had some, some folks who could help him with that. Because Tom Herman, even though their relationship has devolved and we, <laughs> we're – weirdly talking about the possibility of Urban Meyer replacing Tom Herman. Yeah. Tom Herman brought kind of the up-tempo world to Urban Meyer. Before that, Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen sort of created the offense together, but as we've seen, Dan Mullen is a very bright offensive mind in his own right and has sort of evolved that offense further. So, And he could get anybody to come he's work for had, him. Right, he but he's had some good minds working with him, and he has a good eye for that. So my guess is he could find somebody that would help him sort of navigate the waters of running an offense that'll work in the Big 12. 
So that I, I'm not worried about any of the on-field stuff. None of it. I am 100% confident if he decides he would like to do that, he could go to Texas and have Texas contending for national titles very quickly. It's just a matter of whether it's what he wants to do. And if he's healthy enough to do it and wants to put his body through that again and his family is supportive of him trying. Correct. And so that's that's really all it comes down to. And I can answer that. You can't answer that. Only he can answer that. And my guess is, is that that will get answered in the affirmative or the negative here in the next week and a half or so. It yeah, just, it seems to be people are getting get more excited out. right now. It seems to be gaining some steam. And I, it kind of got to this yeah, point at I mean, the USC. I'm not saying that. Listen, I, I, I've i seen John Gruden show up in enough random places in Knoxville that he was never at yeah. to know. And also, how do you possibly quantify whether or not Shelly Meyer is looking at houses in Austin? Like, how do you even know? Like, if, if that's a report, or doing it, was she like but, with a realtor in Austin, or is she like looking at properties for? I look at properties on real see, realtor all the time that aren't in I the city at, that I'm in. I look at Zillow all the yeah. time. I look at beach houses that I could never afford. That if I ever won the lottery, I would buy. You could get one but, in Jacksonville, probably. Uh, no, I'm I'm going to the Redneck Riviera. I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to 30A, Grayton Beach, yeah, Santa uh, Rosa Beach. That's Blue the dream Mountain right Beach. there. I'm, I watch House Hunters. We all do it. And then I am immediately, I was looking at houses in Provo, Utah the other day. I'm not taking the BYU job. <laughs> I was just interested <laughs> to know nice. how much uh, so, how much property was there. Yeah. I don't think Shelly Meyer was looking at real estate in Austin because that is like the the classic message board trope. It's like a mother-in-law joke on a sitcom or, or a Brussels sprout joke on a sitcom. <laughs> Yet everybody... Puts it out there and somebody always falls for it. So it, it you know, I'm entertained because people least. believe what they want to believe. Of course they do. They believe whatever reinforces their worldview. That is that is what they want to believe. Now we need to take a deeper look into our own particular worldviews. We had a request on Twitter this week that I thought was a great one. We were asked to rank mall food court food, and Ari and I have spent. A significant amount of time in mall food courts. Uh, he was talking about hitting the the Black Friday sales. I I am a uh, dedicated mall shopper. Was once a Champ Sports employee in high school. Sold a lot of shoes. Sold a lot of Air Jordans. So I I feel like I'm an expert on mall food court food. When as well. I was in high school, I worked we, at Lids in the mall. So that's funny. Nice. You know that Very was nice. my that yep. was my I used to sell hats and I I was a really good hat salesman and we would. Uh, you know, a dollar extra uh, to spray it from the anti-sweat spray, which was the biggest scam oh, in the history yeah. of human well, human it, race. <laughs> at Champs, you would always try to make somebody buy a pair of socks or a pack of inf- uh, ball inflating needles because <laughs> it was all about the multiple sale in right, the Kenny yeah. Shoe Corporation. Yeah, right. And and same so with the hat. Whatever thing. you could do to get that second item right. was, was the key. Yeah, it's so, funny. What a day. What a time. But on our breaks, where would we go? The food court. I would leave to the food court even when I wasn't package. on break. <laughs> That's right. So we we said we were trying to establish parameters, and we're basically going to go with mostly dishes, but also occasionally a franchise because there are certain restaurants that are in basically every mall food court. But uh, the, then there are certain kind of archetypes that are always in a mall food court as well, whether they are you know a name brand or not. Uh, and then, of course, we also need to establish the boundaries because as we learned from Mallrats, 
there is a difference between a restaurant that is in the food court and the cookie stand. Because as we all know, <laughs> the cookie stand is an autonomous unit for mid-mall snacking. It is not necessarily part of the food court. Only the the franchises in the designated boundaries of the food court qualify as the food court. Well, sometimes, and we'll get into this debate on my list, but there are things that you'll find in the food court, and sometimes those same restaurants are around the mall. So I, I agree. My number five is usually an autonomous unit for mid-mall snacking, but that's okay. What is your number five? Okay, but before we go, and this is going long, but I just have to ask you, would you ever go to a mall to eat lunch because of the food court? And would you ever get multiple items from different places? No. I've done that before, and that's why I'm on what you'd call a diet. Because I've always been amazing. I've always been a variety person over quantity. Mm. Like I would rather have like we'll get I'll tell you my perfect mall meal after we're done because I don't want to blow anything. But my number five oh, you go number first. You you're first. Okay. All right. My number five is a giant cinnamon sugar pretzel, whether it's an Auntie Anne's or a Wetzel's pretzel. I want that giant cinnamon sugar pretzel or failing that if they sometimes because sometimes they burn them. I'll take the little cinnamon sugar pretzel nuggets. Okay. Um, yeah. And sometimes those are stands within the realm of the food court and sometimes they're scattered around the mall and sometimes they're both. Um, first of all, I don't know what you're going to do and there's a high possibility that there's a Chick-fil-A's on your list, but I didn't mm-hmm. put anything on my list that was a fast food chain because you can get that all the time. And I think this needs to be specific. I, I so, thought about that. I thought, and I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. get to it. Okay. My number five is Johnny rockets. Cause I think they make an awesome burger and they're always in food courts. And I don't think I would ever go to Johnny rockets ever if it wasn't in the mall. And like, I know that they good have five guys. Too. Yeah. They, and good fries. I think it's a pretty good place to get a burger. And you know, sometimes there's McDonald's or Wendy's and Burger King. Burger King's a very big mall food court, fast food. But like, I would never get a burger anywhere else in the mall unless it was Johnny Rockets. And they also have this St. Louis sauce at Johnny Rockets that's kind of like a spicy honey mustard ish type glaze that you can dip the fries oh, it's in. Not, it's not a special sauce that it's combines a, ketchup and mayonnaise. No, wow. no, it's actually like uh, a little yellowish, and it's delicious. I would, I would, I wish I could buy that by the jar. Maybe I can. Somebody will tweet us a link. Um, I think Johnny Rockets is legit for what it is. So my number four is Stromboli from the pizza place, whether it's Savaro, Famous Familia, or just your generic mall pizza place. The pizza always sucks, but the Stromboli, that's pretty tasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, no complaints over here. Um, my yeah, number, the, f- not the calzone. Cause see, yeah, when I order calzone, calzone I, want, I, want, I want no ricotta. Yeah. I want yeah. no ricotta when I order a calzone and what's a calzone with no ricotta. Basically it's, it's stromboli. a stromboli. And I kind of like how you can see how good it's stuffed from the vents. Is that a vent? Can I call it that? Uh, number it, yeah, four, that's exactly what it is. I like steak escape or Charlie's cheesesteaks. There's nothing better than a good, a good mall cheesesteak. And I know that I've said this to Landis before, cause he's from Philadelphia and it pisses him off. But I don't. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I think that fast food or fast casual like mall cheesesteaks are almost as good as the ones that I've had in Philly. Like I think they've done a really good job of replicate well, replicating the experience. They put cheese whiz on it. Well, I don't get the cheese whiz in Philly, and consider it to there. be a gourmet food item. Provolone so, is the cheese. <laughs> but I think right. that they've done a pretty good My- job. If you like, look, and this is another like list that we could go down, but what fast food version 
of a food is the best. So like, what's the best fast fried food? chicken? Fry, fried chicken. Uh, have we Popeye's talked about fried this chicken before? is almost better than any other fried chicken. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the cheesesteaks yeah. that you get at, at Charlie's and Steak Escape are really, really good. Interesting that you said that. It ties into something I will talk about later. But my number three is Chick-fil-A. And I, I thought about not putting it on there because you're right. I can go to what Chick-fil-A calls an FSU, a freestanding unit, anytime, outside the mall. But you know what? Half the time I'm in the mall, I eat a Chick-fil-A. So guess what? Chick-fil-A is on the list. Spicy chicken sandwich, large waffle fries, large Coke Zero, additional large waffle fry. See, because like I'm, that's a huge order. But if I'm in the mall and I go to Chick-fil-A, I'll get a Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich and a stromboli and eat them together because I like the variety instead of getting all the extra stuff. <laughs> that is, see, you said mine's a huge order. There, there's way more calories in the stromboli than, than two large fries together. Uh, that stromboli's uh, got like 2,000 calories. I mean, again, I'm not saying that my my point of view uh, is the healthiest way. Uh, but I think your order is every this bit is big. This is why you big. have a personal trainer. Yeah, I have a personal trainer I've got to go into debt for. Um, okay, <laughs> number three, and I didn't go on the list here. Um, mine is just the the pizza by the slice places, and my listed it because I like the pizza by the slice, and I love the stromboli. So I'm with you, but I don't think – people think that Sabaro is, like, terrible. And whenever I freaked out about Little Caesars, everybody always would say Sabaro is the worst pizza on planet Earth. No, it is not. No. It is pretty no. good for what it is. And there, I there's, act- a, there's a pizza place in your town, and it could be – it'll have they'll have different names that people only order when they're drunk. That is the worst pizza place. Not Sabaro and not Little Caesars. I actually think in certain areas where you're not fortunate enough to have legitimate – New York City Northeast Pizza. That Sabaro was the next best thing to that, and I think the dough is actually. I'm gonna pretty start calling good. you Michael Scott. My my favorite authentic New York pizza place. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny, but I think in the mall, no, nothing hits the spot more than a, a pizza by the slice. And I'm gonna go even one step further because I have a lot of weird food takes. I don't even want them to put it in the oven. Sometimes I like it straight off the tray. I like it. Do you like, like it loop- when they when they have the cheese pizzas and then they apply the pepperonis? secondarily as i get, as I get and older put it in the oven as i get older i'm starting to go revert back to cheese pizza as my preferred now you can never beat pepperoni but if i'm at sabaro you i usually get come, cheese. you know it comes next after you after you revert back to cheese pizza what diapers again that's <laughs> like the benjamin button reverse you know i love basically yeah. my, my my perfect um pizza is uh spicy sausage or sausage uh, crumbles or I mean, uh, balls, not crumbles. Uh, pepperoni and mushroom and onion, or or mushroom. But at a place like that, they can't the excuse it. Place. Yeah. So I, I just get yeah, cheese. They, they can't execute they can't it make there. That happen. Okay, you're number two. Uh, number two for me is the largest cup possible of fresh cut fries from the mall cheesecake place. I don't even buy the sandwich. The fries. I just are good. want the fries. I I might even get two orders of the fries. My whole meal might be the fries. I yeah. love those fries. Love I, them. I put those fries on the sandwich. Well, aren't you? Is a that Permani weird, brother? Yeah, it's actually executed the right way because Permani Brothers is disgusting, but uh, not disgusting, flavorless. <laughs> okay, uh, my number two is um, bourbon chicken, and I know that you are a big proponent of the bourbon chicken. I love it. It's the sugary sauce that makes your blood sugar shoot through the roof. 
And it, the thing I love the most about bourbon chicken is when you get extra sauce and you put it in the rice and the rice drowns in it. Um, I don't know what the brand is. I don't like the drowning rice, but we'll we'll get to my yeah, I like bourbon a, chicken order in a second. Yeah, I like putting the chicken in the rice and it all kind of drowning in that beautiful nectar. Um, but I don't know what, what it's called because every mall has a different version of it. I think it's Cajun Express or something, but you, you, if you know what bourbon chicken is and you're the real one. So here's how you do bourbon chicken in any mall. You walk past the bourbon chicken place and you take a sample, sample. from the guy standing out front <laughs> yeah. and you eat it. And then you walk to the other end of the food court and you make another lap down and you take a sample and you eat it. Then you go to the other end of the food court and come back and you take a sample and you eat it. Then you order the bourbon chicken. Now you order the bourbon chicken with rice as one of your sides, and then the most random side possible. So you mentioned it's always Cajun something, the name of the restaurant. Like in Florida, there were a few places, few malls where it was called Cajun Cafe. There's nothing Cajun about it, nothing remotely Cajun about any of these places. They serve bourbon chicken and a very random collection of side dishes. So you order bourbon chicken, extra meat, rice, and then the most random side you can get, which in my corner of the world would be Maduro's. 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 What's a Maduro, you ask? Fried sweet plantains. I they don't are know that the bourbon places that I have, and maybe I'm just not paying attention. They don't. Really have very don't many have weird sides like what you're talking about. Because you're not in Florida. So, but I'm telling you, you I... Look around. I bet they have something a little bit different. I, I'm sure there's something different that they do in I Dallas. Need to look. And there's something different that they do in Phoenix. And there's something different that they do in Minneapolis. But get the most random side you can because it's fun. And and then just feel the weight of that styrofoam container. Because that is a lot of food. I love that bourbon chicken. God, I'm hungry. Several pounds of food. I am hungry. And you take your and you take your styrofoam container. And you put it to the side, and you walk past the guy with the samples, and then you grab two more samples and you eat them. Man, that, and then you go sit down. You're, and eat. you're far more dedicated to the sample game. I always take one, and then I just order the extra because those places are super, for whatever reason, seem desperate to get you to eat there. And it's just like you Listen, already had me. You already had me at Bourbon Chicken. They, they, if they want to give them out, knowing that everyone has had it already, I'm going to take it. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know what? Wor- words to live by. What's your number one? That was my number one. I know. <laughs> I knew it. You've <laughs> made a comment about bourbon chicken to me in passing. In the past, I knew before we started that was going to be your number one. My number one is Wetzel's Pretzels. Um, and I know Auntie Anne's is super good, too. And sometimes malls don't have Wetzel's and they have Auntie Anne's. That'll be a fine substitute. But if you've noticed on my list, I didn't put any Cinnabon on there. I didn't put any cookie uh, cookie sheet places or uh, Mrs. Fields or all that other stuff because I'm more of a... Uh, a hearty carbohydrate uh, French fry burger pizza bread guy than I am a sweets guy. And I love the Wetzel's pretzels that have um, the pepperoni on the pretzel with the cheese. And you can get that in oh. in the cup form where they have bites with pepperoni on them. Or you can uh, get the regular pretzel. And I love the marinara dipping sauce. And another thing that I do, which is, again, I'm surprised I'm still alive, Andy. But I love... Mountain Dew, and they always have Mountain Dew at that place. Of course you do. Yeah, who, who? Yeah, it's the most. You don't disgusting. get the fresh squeezed lemonade from the pretzel place. I I like Mountain Dew. 
Uh, and I know they have oh. like this blue lemonade sometimes and red lemonade and all this stuff. And it's the good. Bl- no, no. You get the fresh squeeze <laughs> stuff. The regular, <laughs> the, blue the stuff. yellow. But I think Wetzel's Pretzels is um, vastly superior to Auntie Anne's. Plus all the money goes to our friend Dan Wetzel, the great sports writer at Yahoo. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing There's nothing better. And And to me, it's just you might go to the mall and you might not eat a meal at the mall. But if you're at the mall and you're not dieting and there's no girlfriend there to shame you or wife to shame you, I think Wetzel Pretzel or, in your case, Auntie Anne's, you get the sugary one. I like the regular uh, savory ones, but it's almost like a must to get that as a snack. And I feel like my mall experience is based on that. I feel somewhat guilty when I get it because the one at Sam's Club costs 99 cents and it's actually better. I don't know that I've ever had a Sam's Club pretzel, but I have had. Oh, but I've had. You are missing out, buddy. Pizza by the Slice at Costco—that's pretty good. It's, but Costco and Sam's Pizza by the Slice also solid. But when I was in college, cent cinnamon sugar pretzel. When I was in college, I would go there to Costco for lunch because my mom gave her her card, and I would get the hot dog and Coke for a dollar twenty-five. Still the Nothing best deal in that. food. By the way, our producer Cameron Molina has fact-checked me. The individual meat lovers stromboli, and I'm glad you chose that one, Cameron, because that is the one I would order. 970 calories. I find that very hard to believe. Two large waffle fries from Chick-fil-A is 1,100 calories. I did know that. I just assumed that those big old strombolis were like 2,000 calories. You know what this means, Ari? I need to be ordering two strombolis. Yeah, and I don't know. Some people find my fascination with variety disgusting, and like... Why would you have a spicy chicken sandwich and an Italian do, thing at the same thing? Do you have thing? the Dan Mullen Thanksgiving plate where you mix oh, it all together dis- and put gravy on everything? The ingredients on that plate didn't even look good, though. Like, I would I would put mix it all together if the ingredients were good. You get the cornbread. <laughs> You're the one eating stromboli and, and Chick-fil-A at the same time. I, I mean, I would just like, if you have six different restaurants in one place, why would you just not get the single item at every restaurant that does it the best? And for your whole meal, instead of over ordering at one place, instead of getting two chicken sandwiches and a nugget and a large fry and this uh, big ass Coke from Chick Fil A, why not just go incrementally down the line? Fresh and get- cut fries, and I don't want anything but fresh cut fries. So I'm going to get I know multiple giant cups of fresh cut fries. And but if happy. you were at the mall and there was a steak escape and a Chick-fil-A, would you go get the fries that you like at steak escape and match it with your meal yeah. at Chick-fil-A? Cause that like is veteran no. move to me. I just get more fries from steak escape. I just, you know, you go down the list, you pick the best small version of the thing that you like the most and you have a little Thanksgiving dinner yourself. And that's why my favorite sandwich is the post Thanksgiving uh, gobbler sandwich. Because everything's on it. I do Variety. appreciate that. I do appreciate that. Variety. But you're a psychopath when it comes to the food court. I know. Let's I be am. honest. I am. <laughs> I need help. All right. Nah, you're doing fine. You're, you're, if you guys can't see this, I am looking at Ari right now. This man is slimming down. He is disappearing before our eyes. So he's talking about eating like this. He's not actually doing it, though. Yeah, you just have to like think about it because now I have to have some sort of kale smoothie for dinner so I, or whatever <laughs> healthy people eat these days. And, you know, this is the, the fantasizing about the good times is what this show is all about. Well, I am going to get let you get to your green drink, and I'm going to tell the folks, thank you for listening. Enjoy the games on Saturday. This season's going to be over soon, and I know some people probably want to see it end, but... It's college football. We're lucky that we get a chance to watch it. It'll be fun next season when it's a little more normal, but I'm just glad there's some games. So 
Enjoy those games. If you're not already subscribing to The Athletic, by the way, go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples and get yourself a deal. You know, Black Friday's over, but you can still get yourself a deal on the best sports writing on earth. By the way, you can also listen to this podcast ad-free. So thanks so much. We'll talk to you after the games.